let's face it, we live in a selfie world. Most days, it feels like we're supposed to be obsessed with looking out for number one. Obsessed with getting ahead. Obsessed with clawing our way to the top no matter the cost. It's exhausting, isn't it? Maybe we need to flip the script a little and look at our lives from a new angle. What if giving is greater than getting? What if serving is better than taking? Could it be true that love is greater than fear? That less can be greater than more? That the we is better than the me? God has designed you and me to live a life that matters, a life that makes a difference, a greater than kind of life. And that's the series we'll begin next weekend, and I hope you'll be here for that. It's going to be a great, great series. A lot of thought, a lot of work has gone into it. But this weekend, we're wrapping up our Multiply series. And uh, in the series, we're talking about how to handle our money the way God wants us to handle our money. What does the Bible have to say about how we handle our money? I kind of hate to end this series because in my 36 years of pastoring, this has been like the first one. No one sliced my tires. I haven't gotten tons of hate mail. Actually, attendance usually goes down when I talk about how God expects us to handle our money. Last weekend, we were up about 18% uh, over last year. And so people haven't like deserted. You're still here. It makes me think we should go another 12, 15 weeks maybe in this series, right? But I think we will go ahead and wrap it up this weekend. And see, it's important that we learn to handle our money the way God wants us to handle our money, really for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's so that we can just experience financial peace, but it's second, it's so that we can develop a life of generosity. And when you think about it, financial peace, a life of generosity, I'm not sure why stuff like this is so hard for us to apply. You know, a lot of things we talk about, we talk about relationships, marriages, people just go out, they, they, they just try to put it to work. And, but when it comes to this, it's like we have good intentions, but there's never quite the follow through. And I'm not sure why. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest, we all want financial peace, right? We all, we all want to avoid the stress of making dumb financial decisions. Second, I, I think in our hearts, we all want to be generous. Most of us have been generous at some point of our life. And when we've been generous, we know the joy, that sense of satisfaction, that sense of fulfillment that comes when we're generous with other people. And since we know those things, I'm not sure why a message, a series like this is so hard for us to follow through on. But I think maybe it's all the what ifs. I think it's like we get to a point and say, okay, what if I handle my money the way God wants me to handle my money? Which we learned last weekend, it means when you get paid, the first thing you do, you're rich toward God, you give. Second, you're rich toward yourself, you save. And then third, you ratchet down your lifestyle as necessary, but you learn to live within your means. You learn to live within your income, so your income's not always bumping up against your lifestyle. You think, I, I would like to do that, but every time I do that, you know, it's, it's the what ifs that creep into our minds. Like, what if I don't get my bonus? What if I decide to do it this way and I don't get my bonus or I don't get my raise? Or what if unexpectedly, we're not planning, what if my wife gets pregnant again? What if I lose my job? What if the stock market goes up? What if inflation begins to rise and eats into my income? See, but when we think that way, what we're basically saying is this, God, I'm afraid, I would love to handle my finances the way your word teaches, but I'm afraid there might be a worst case scenario. And as much as I'd like to handle my finances the way you want me to handle my finances, as much as I would like to experience financial freedom, as much as I would like to be a person of generosity, God, I can't do it because I'm just afraid. 
I mean, it is amazing to me how the circumstances of life force the issue and show us just how fearful we are when it comes to obeying God in this area and just handling our finances the way God said, this is the best way to do it. You know, God, I'm afraid now. See, you probably had thoughts like this. I'm afraid now, but when I get my school loans paid off. God, I'm afraid now, but after we finish building our new home. God, I'm afraid now, but boy, after we get our kids through private school and through college. God, I'm afraid now. But once we get our new business off the ground, God, I'm afraid now, but once I feel like I have enough money for retirement, I'm going to handle my finances the way you want me to handle my finances, right? But I want us to be honest with ourselves this weekend. Let's say you are one of those individuals, you've been holding out on God, and let's say the bottom does drop out of your finances. Let's say the stock market does crash. Let's say that, 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 that inflation does go up. Let's say that worst case scenario, you lose your job. As I've said in this series, if the financial bottom drops out of your life, I am pretty sure of one thing you are not going to do. You're not gonna pray, Jesus, as you can see, I'm having financial difficulties. Jesus, as you can see, I'm having some financial struggles. I'm having some problems. I lost my job. I didn't get that deal. I didn't get that bonus. I didn't get that promotion. I don't know how I'm gonna pay the mortgage. I don't know how I'm gonna put food on the table. I don't know how I'm gonna cover our medical insurance. But God, here's the good news. I don't want your help. I promise you, you would not pray that prayer, would you? Regardless of how you've handled your finances up to this point, you would be happy to have God get involved. You would ask God for help because all of a sudden, where you, maybe you had security, now there's a hole, now there's a gap, now there's a shortage. And you're more than happy at that point to have God step in and fill that gap, to fill that shortage, to fill that hole in your finances. But let me just ask you a question. Isn't it a little hypocritical when we try to build our own little financial kingdom? We're trying to build our own financial security by not giving, by not sharing, by not being generous. But the minute the bottom drops out of our finances, we immediately turn to God. I mean, we probably have all done it from time to time, maybe still doing it, but there's something, I'm telling you, isn't there something wrong with that picture? So this weekend as we wrap up this series, this is what I want us to do. I want us to look at a passage that shows how to get God involved in your finances right now. How to get God involved in your finances today up front. And this is important because see, if we involve God in our finances ahead of time, when the bottom drops out, if the bottom drops out of our finances, we don't have to worry. Because see, God has now been a part of our financial life all along. If you have your Bible this weekend, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Not to be confused with 2 Chronicles. So don't go to the Old Testament. It's the one in the New Testament, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a letter that originally Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. It made its way into the Bible. If you don't have the verses this weekend, or your Bible this weekend, we're gonna put the verses up on the screen. Let me just kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth was a growing church. It was a booming church. Uh, I'm thinking it was probably a lot like hope, a lot going on, you know. Probably campuses spread all over Corinth. But on the other side of the known world, there's this little struggling church in Jerusalem. Now understand, this church that's struggling in Jerusalem, this is the church where it all started. This is the church where Peter walked into the streets after the resurrection and preached the gospel about Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And 3,000 people hearing his message converted from Judaism to Christianity. That was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. It started in Jerusalem. Now that church where it all started has fallen on hard times. They're up against it financially. It's, it's an economically depressed time for them. And so the Apostle Paul, he's given the assignment of collecting money, getting at Jerusalem to this church so that this church can survive. But to do that, 
He's going to have to get money out of the pockets of Christians that are now spread around, spread throughout Europe. Christians who probably are never even going to visit Jerusalem. And so for that to happen, it is going to take incredible generosity. So Paul writes this letter to the people at Corinth. He encourages them in their generosity. And while he's writing, he explains a financial principle, a principle about generosity that is so often misunderstood. But understand, in this passage, Paul tells us how we can guarantee God's involvement in the area of our finances. So let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul begins by saying, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, for those of us who didn't you know, grow up in Fuquay, it's probably hard for us to comprehend this agriculture verse. But the point is very, very simple. Paul says this, and everyone in the first century know it. If you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. For example, back in biblical times, wheat had a 30-fold return, which simply meant this. If you went out and you sowed 10 bushels of wheat, you were going to harvest 300 bushels of wheat. And Paul says, in the same way, God says this, if you give generously, you are going to be blessed bountifully. In fact, if you will give generously, I will actually get involved in your finances and multiply it. Interesting verse, Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe. That's that 10% thing we talk about all the time. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Most people believe that this is a reference to the church that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now that's the promise. If you give, if you're generous, I am going to bless it. I am going to multiply it. But understand that promise is based on our generosity. So what I want you to see is that God has set into motion the law of the harvest in relationship to our money. And Paul says, listen, for those of you who sow generously, you can expect a generous financial return. For those of you who choose to sow sparingly, you can expect a small financial return. So here's the bottom line, just in case you have to leave early. Okay, here it is. If you want God involved in your finances now, but you're afraid to involve God in your finances now. In other words, you're afraid to handle your finances the way God wants you to handle your finances because you're afraid if you do this, if you put God first, you're not sure what's going to happen. In other words, you're playing through, you're processing all the what ifs in your mind. Paul says the smartest thing you can do when you are afraid is to begin sowing. And you gotta, it's because see, sowing is an invitation for God to get involved in the area, in the arena of your personal finances. And once he's involved, see, you don't have to be afraid anymore. In fact, the thing we need to fear isn't giving. The thing we need to fear as Christians is the refusal to sow. I mean, let's go back to the farmer. No farmer in his right mind says, you know what, I think I, I, if I sow all this seed, I won't have it anymore. So maybe I'll just keep all that seed in my barn. Worst case scenario, I at least have my seed. No, there's absolutely no benefit for that farmer just to hang on to all of that seed. The best thing that farmer can do is take that seed, get out into the field, and sow as much seed as possible. So here's the challenge that Paul's challenging us with. How are we going to sow the seed when it comes to our finances? We're going to throw out a few pennies, a few nickels, a few quarters here and there, a few dollar bills, right? Because, see, God can only bring in a financial harvest that equals the amount that we sow. And that means that if we want God to be 
deeply entrenched in our finances, Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we have to be willing to sow generously. And then Paul gives us some insight as to how much seed we should sow, how much we should give. By the way, you can tell right away that I didn't write this, a preacher didn't write this, okay? Verse seven, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So if the question this weekend you're thinking, how much do I give? Whatever you decide, it's right here in the Bible. But let me tell you what Paul's really doing. Paul is setting up a contrast and he's setting up the contrast between planned giving and impulsive giving. Planned giving is you give on a regular basis. Impulsive giving is something strikes your heart, there's a need, there's an earthquake, there's a tsunami, and just out of emotion you write a check for $100. Paul says there's a big difference between planned strategic giving and impulsive giving. And when it comes to the amount, Paul says that we should think through, we should plan ahead the amount that we are going to give. There should be some thought put into how much we are going to sow. Now here's the problem. Most Christians, I've discovered, most Christians don't have a plan. You show up at church, if you have a little something, something in your wallet that you don't need, you may drop it in the offering box. Most of the time, it's just simply because you feel obligated. But I want you to understand, when you give that way, you might as well keep it because that kind of, that kind of giving doesn't please God. I mean, do you want a gift that someone gives you because, well, they feel obligated to give you that gift? No, you don't want that gift. So here's the application. Paul would say, here's your homework. You need to go home and decide, how has God blessed me. How much has God given me? And then in light of that, see, you have to decide based on how God has blessed me, based on what God has given me, how much seed do I want to sow? And once you decide, you do it. And when things are going great financially, you do it. And when things aren't going so great financially, you continue to sow seed. But we need to give based on what we've predetermined to give. But if that's going to happen, it will require us to spend some time with God where we kind of lay it all out, we put it all on the table, and we pray this scary prayer. God, this is what you've given me. I got a pickup truck. I got a, I, I got a minivan with melted crayons on it. I got a house with a mortgage. I got two dogs and a ferret. That's what I got, God. That's what I got it's all on the table. In light of the fact, God, that you own it all, in light of the fact, God, I'm just the manager of the stuff that you've entrusted to me, you show me, or if you're a couple, God, you show us what you want us to give on a regular basis. And God, we're going to follow through. Regardless, we're gonna follow through if things are good, but we're gonna continue, because God, this has come from you. We're gonna follow through when things are bad. That's how you determine how much you're supposed to give. And maybe you didn't realize it, but what you're doing is you're inviting God into your financial world. And let's be honest. At the end of the day, isn't that what you want? You know? And if that's not what you want right now, because things are okay right now, if that's not what you want today, I promise you, there will be a time in your life where you will want God involved in your finances. We've all been there. I mean, think of it this way. Why is it that we want God involved in our health? It's because we know we have no control over it. We have no control over our body, whether or not some cell is going to mutate and turn into cancer. We have no control over that. So we trust our health to God. Why do we pray that God will work in the lives of our teenagers? Because we know at the end of the day, we don't have any control over our teenagers. 
But see, when it comes to our money, we think that we're in control. Now, here's the problem. Here's the challenge. God wants to be in control of every area of our lives. That would include our finances. And so Paul says in chapter 9, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians, each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give. Now, look at this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that Greek word cheerful, transliterated into English, is literally hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. I mean, when we give, we should just be breaking up. It ought to be the highlight of our day. When you walk by those offering boxes, when you write that check, when you know that automatic deposit goes out of your bed, you ought to just laugh. See, you don't give because you have to. You give because you want to. You give because you get to. Let me tell you this. I have never in my life, ever, met a negative, generous person. Do you know why? There's just something about knowing that you made a difference. It's the greatest joy, greatest satisfaction you could possibly imagine. Mr. Martin, who gave us this property, and I tell you this so you can pray, was just diagnosed with stage four cancer, prostate cancer, and I went to visit him in the hospital, smiling from ear to ear, reading his Bible. You know what he said to me? God, just so good. You will never in your life meet a negative, generous person because they've seen the joy that comes with giving and they've sensed the satisfaction. And it's maybe one of the greatest things that you experience in your life. And then Paul shifts gears a little bit and he tells us why the law of the harvest applies to giving. And just so you know, it's got a lot more to do with God than it has to do with us. But this is what he says in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Now look at this. So that in all things, <laughs> at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, God says, now that you're sowing the seed, now that you're rechanneling your wealth for my kingdom, God says, let me tell you what I'm able to do on my end. I am able to give you all things at all times so that you can have whatever you need whenever you need it. And what's ironic is this, isn't that the reason that we hold out on God to start with? God, I would love to give more. God, I would love to do more financially. But God, the reality is I want all things at all times. I want whatever I need whenever I need. I mean, isn't that what we think we're accomplishing by not giving, by not being generous? Isn't that what we think we're accomplishing by holding out on God? God says, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't do that. I can do that. You can't do that. But see, as we learn to sow generously, and as we begin to give toward God's work, as we begin to give toward God's agenda, God says this, I have ways of refilling your bucket over and over and over because, see, I'm God and you're not. And God says, so if you're depending on your own wisdom, your own strength, if you're depending on yourself for financial security, you're never going to get there. It is never, ever going to happen. But as long as you're depending on me, God says, I have a way of giving you all you need whenever you need it. And then in verse 9, Paul writes, and it is writ as it is written, and he quotes something here. It actually comes from Psalm 112, verse 9. God is speaking, and the they at the beginning of it, that's a reference to those of us who are his children, who are followers of Jesus Christ. It is written, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Now, if we wanted to put it in modern terms, we would say, as my children, Christians have freely scattered their gifts 
to the poor. Now, why does Paul quote this? What is God saying? God is saying this. He's saying, I have made a commitment to the poor. And the way I supply the needs of the poor is through those who have more than the poor. That would be us. Remember what I said in this series, if you have a household income of $31,400 a year, you're in the top 1% of the richest people on the planet. We are rich. In other words, what God is saying is God has some things that he wants to accomplish in our church. God has some things that he wants to accomplish in other churches throughout our community. God has some things that he wants to accomplish in your neighborhood, in the triangle. God has things that he wants to accomplish all over the world. And God says, the way that I'm going to fulfill it, the way I'm going to make it, make my commitment, fulfill my commitments to all of these needs that I spotted and I've identified throughout the world. God says, I'm going to do it through you. You are my plan. You are it. There is no plan B. And since that's his plan, let me ask you a question. Why would God encourage us to give more than we can really afford to give and then leave us hanging? I mean, after all, his goal is to fund his work, his agenda throughout the world. So if you were God, let's play, let's pretend. If you were God, scary thought, but let's just go there for a second, okay? If you were God, whose wealth would you replenish? Now think about this logically. Would you replenish the wealth of all those Christians who are just spending everything they have on themselves? Or would you replenish the wealth of those who are willing to say, God, all I have is yours. And I want to get as much of my treasure as I possibly can into circulation for your kingdom. Again, if you were God, who would you bless financially? Now understand, that's what this passage is all about. God is simply looking for people who will sow full hands of seed. He's looking for people who are just willing to give and give and give and give. When things are growing, they give. When things aren't going so great, they continue to give. And you know what he does? He replenishes and he replenishes and he replenishes and he replenishes. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that would be God, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Now look at this. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, I will multiply it. You will be enriched. I love that word. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, through your generosity, lives are going to be impacted. Lives are going to be changed and God's going to get the praise, and God is going to get the glory. So God basically says this. There are some things that I want to accomplish on planet Earth, and God, this is what God says to us as Christians. I am inviting you to get involved. And for those of you who will make the choice to join with me, not only will I meet all of your needs when they need to be met, God says, I am making you this promise. I will enrich you. If you will commit to using the treasure I have given you for my program, for my agenda in the world. And when some of you, you hear that word enriched, this is what you're thinking. Does that mean I'm going to get rich? Because that's what some churches teach. It's called the prosperity gospel. You give God 20 bucks, he'll give you 200 bucks. Let me tell you, that's heresy. That is absolute heresy. And it's usually based on a lot of pastors who want to live a rock star lifestyle 
And they get you to give because if you give and I live this lifestyle, then if you sacrifice, you'll get to live a lifestyle like me too. It happens in a lot of churches of America, okay? Just let you know that right now. That is not in the Bible. This is not about if I give, God will make me rich. Listen, we are already rich by the world's standards. We don't do this to get rich. We do this because God has made us rich. And God says, if you'll partner with me, I will continue to enrich you. So here's the question. If that's what God promises, what are we so worried about? I mean, if God promises, if you give, I'll replenish because I want to get it done. I, want to, I got an agenda. I got a plan. I want to use you. If God promises that, what are we so afraid of? You know what it comes down to? It's just simply this. Do you trust God? I mean, that's what he says. Now, do you trust him? And if you trust him, if you say, oh, yeah, I trust God, you know what? Then eventually you got to begin to live this way. Eventually you stop being fearful and you trust God and you do it. I got a couple of emails I want to share with you. As I said, this has been a great series and nobody's shot at me or anything like that. And so I've been really encouraged, but I've gotten a lot of encouraging emails where people are rethinking their lives, especially as it relates to their finances. Uh, One individual wrote me this. Just wanted to email and express how much I'm loving the series. He said, I'm there in my heart, in my head, but it has been a process that's taken about 10 years. I owe it all to my wonderful wife and to Hope. We were always givers, but only around 2 to 4%. Your messages alone, with my wife tugging at me, we kept bumping up our giving. We've never been poor based on the statistics you've thrown out during recent messages, but we went years living paycheck to paycheck. Some of this our own doing, having kids, deciding best for mom not to work, while others, uh, while others was uh, us being stubborn, not wanting to you know, give up on some of our luxury items. But then he says, every time we took a leap of faith and gave more, something positive happened, whether it was a bonus that was higher than I expected or maybe a promotion came around. God kept providing, enriching, replenishing. God kept providing and was almost speaking to me directly to continue giving, and he would do the same. He says, so when you spoke on the personal letters you sent out a few weeks ago, we received one of them. It blew my mind to think that we were in the top 200 givers based on where we had come from. I have totally bought into the mindset that I want to make more so I can give more. It truly does impact and change the way you live your life. And then I got one from a single lady, and I really enjoyed this one. I could just sense her sense of humor. She says, thank you for Multiply. It's been an inspiring series, and since the sale of my home last week, I was not only able to do what I said, and she's talking about the Unleashed campaign, meet her commitment, but I was able to catch up this year with my tithing. So now that I've done all that, I feel really, really not guilty. I thought that's pretty good. She says, now, the partly scary thing is what is God going to do with me now that I've given him control of my finances? Remember, I said, what's going to happen? That's, that's a, that makes us fearful. She said, here's what I mean, and I know you'll get a kick out of this. She said, I had a second house in Southport that I couldn't sell when I moved up here 10 years ago. And after trying to sell it for three years and cleaning out my savings and retirement to make ends meet, I decided to rent it. Still living paycheck to paycheck because the house needed repairs. That came first when you have renters. Well, the renters were late with rent in January and again in March. 
I was so tired of this back and forth, so I thought now may be the time to try and sell it again. But I was so burned the last time, and I knew the house would be unrented, meaning double mortgages for me yet again. I talked to my previous realtor. We decided to put it on the market. The house would be listed in a few days from that conversation on Friday. The Thursday before the house hit the market, so the day before, I prayed so sincerely and so humbly with all my heart, quote, God, please get me out of debt. I am so tired of being in debt, end quote. She says, this is no lie, and I know you know it's not a lie, and you're probably not surprised. She said, I woke up Friday morning with a text message from Bank of America with not my typical paycheck deposit, but a text that said multiple deposits have been made into your account. She said, first of all, I got a raise I wasn't expecting. Second, I got a bonus I had no idea was even a possibility. Third, I got my tax refund. She said, then when I went to work, fourth, I got a $50 bill in the mail for a marketing campaign. Remember, this is one day after my prayer. On Tuesday, four days after listing the house, I got a reasonable contract. That contract fell through on Good Friday, but God was just testing me to see if I trusted him. The house, remember I said, when things are good, when things are tight? The house went back on the market on Monday after Easter. Tuesday, I got a full price offer, and the sale closed that week. So now when I pray humbly with my heart, I'm a little scared but a hold on to your seat kind of way. See, I'm going to tell you something. You cannot outgive God. And I'll just tell you, when you really get caught up in this, it floats your boat. It floats your boat. I mean, Laura and I just, we went through, you know what? We have a golf membership. Canceled it. We're getting rid of cable. I would rather give my children away. I would. Not my grandchildren, but my children. But I have all kinds of friends who have ESPN, so I'm not that worried about it, right? See? See? But we thought, well, we could say, you know, we, we just started thinking through, what can we really do without? And what could we do with that? And you know what? When you start thinking that way, it gets you kind of jacked up. You start thinking, wow. And you realize that you're going to reinvest. Here's my point. You cannot outgive God. And when he says to you, okay, okay, big hand of seed right over here, you don't argue with him. You know what you say? Hey, thank you for giving me the seed because it was yours to start with. Now, where do you want me to throw it? Where do you want me to throw it? Do you remember the verse we started our series with, Matthew 6, 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what that tells us? This isn't really about money. It's about your heart. I mean, how else can you explain people who live this way? In fact, I love what Paul said about the Corinthians. One chapter earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, this is how he said, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. First of all, you show me a person who's given himself, herself, first and fully to God, I will show you a person who represents extreme generosity. You give to God first in any financial situation whether he's blessed you with a little or he's blessed you with a lot. And it is amazing what he will do in your life. It's called trust. You begin to sow bountifully. He'll bless you bountifully. He'll multiply it. You know why? So you can sow more bountifully. Not about getting a new car. 
It's not about if I give, God will bless me and I'll get a vacation home. It's not about that. It's about partnering with God with what he is doing around the world. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christian, and that alone, the fact that God has invited us to partner with him, if you are a Christian and that doesn't motivate you, I got nothing. Absolutely nothing. But you, you have a heart issue. You do. You have a heart issue. Now, that may sting and leave a mark. But you know what? Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So maybe for you, this isn't a financial issue at all. This is a heart issue. And you've got to have that conversation where you put it all on the table and say, God, you know, I've given you this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life, but I got the finances. I got it. And God says, well, I really want that part too. At some point, because where your treasure is, your heart is, you're going to have to put it on the table. And I'm telling you, God will rock your world. He will rock your world. But you got to trust him. you got to trust him. Father, thank you for this series that we've been able to go through. Thank you just as a reminder. The thing that causes so much stress in life is you're like, well, I got the answer, but you got to trust me. And Father, as we've seen, this is a lot more about you than us. We just give. You're the one who replenishes. And Father, that doesn't mean we're going to get rich. I have parents who are 90 and 87 years old, and they've tied their entire life. They live a very meager existence. They're worried about moving into a retirement village, and their first thing was, well, we still have to tithe. They've never gotten rich, but man, are they happy and fulfilled. It's not about getting rich. It's about trusting you and being faithful. So you, you decide who gets what. That's your decision. But we have to decide well, what you're going to give us. And you've called us to be faithful. I pray that our lives will be changed. More importantly, I pray our hearts will be wholly committed to you. And that this series will be a part of the reason we finally got there. In your name we pray. Amen.